Hi, I'm Ollie Henderson and this is Take My Advice. Now, as I speak in November 2020, it's fair to say that we've seen an acceleration in work trends over the past nine months. And in particular, something I've written about extensively is what I describe as the decentralisation of work, the decoupling of work from employment, which is evidenced by businesses reducing their fixed overheads by increasingly combining permanent staff with freelancers. With that trend, as well as the potential of new markets emerging, many people are either choosing or being forced to create a new type of career for themselves, in which they plow multiple furrows at once, both leveraging their value in different directions and at the same time spreading the risk of working for only one employer. Today's guest is not only working in this way, he's also founded a business that will support other people who want to establish what's known as a portfolio career. Ben Legg started his career in the military before working as a management consultant at McKinsey, becoming COO of Google in Europe and then running several digital businesses. He's now the CEO of the Portfolio Collective. In our conversation, we explore what led him to create the business and how you should approach establishing your own portfolio career. I'm sure you'll find it very useful. I'd suggest taking a look at the Portfolio Collective website, of which I'm a member. You can find a link in the show notes. Before we start, as ever, if you enjoy this show, please subscribe to the podcast and check out my newsletter, Future Work Life. Here's my conversation with Ben Lake. Enjoy. Ben, welcome to the show. I've been excited to speak to you again after we spoke for the first time a few weeks ago. There's loads to discuss, including just general thoughts about the future of work. But I thought the best place to start would be if you could tell us a little bit about your new company, The Portfolio Collective. Yeah, so... um... The idea for the Portfolio Collective came really during um, lockdown when loads of people came to me asking for career advice. Um, and as lockdown went on, uh, it became clearer and clearer that there are a lot of people either being laid off or on furlough and not many permanent jobs on offer. And yet there was loads of part-time work and interim work and other, other ways to make money that wasn't a full-time job. And that's kind of what I have. And I learned the phrase portfolio career. And I realized I have a portfolio career. And a lot of other people want a portfolio career, either because they say, I'm done with corporate life, or because they say, odds of me getting a permanent job are low, I should think of another way to make money. And so it started off literally as a once a week workshop in which I talked about what is a portfolio career, why are they booming, and how can you land one, uh, or build one of your own. And then it morphed from there into a team with a bit of a plan. And, And now what we're doing, we're only a few months old. And really, we do three things. Number one is we actually offer real training on um, how to launch a portfolio career. The second is we have a bunch of resources, so like articles, research, et cetera, to help people understand more about how to have a successful portfolio career. And the third thing is community. So we've built a platform. It's kind of like a, a more friendly version and supportive version of LinkedIn, but only for portfolio professionals in which people learn from each other, find mentors, offer mentoring, share questions and frustrations and ideas um, and just kind of help each other succeed. And the, the, the principle of a portfolio career, for those people who haven't heard that phrase before, what do you mean by that? How does it differ from freelancing roles, contractor roles? Yeah, so th- th- there's overlap between all of them. But in essence, a portfolio career says it doesn't, you're not just selling your time and you're not necessarily just doing one thing. What you're saying is, I'm going to audit all of my skills and knowledge and network and passions and work out the best way to monetize those, those, those assets um, 
in a way that kind of makes the right amount of money, makes me happy, etc. So, for example, if you're really good at something, you don't just offer your skills as a consultant or an interim or, or whatever. You might also provide training on that subject. You might help uh, investors invest in an area that you're knowledgeable about. You might write a book. You might um, do online training videos. Um, you, know, you, you might say, well, I've got two passions, so I'm going to have two revenue streams, but I'm also going to work out how can I do something amazing on the crossroads of those passions. So, for example, um, you know, one of our, our members is a drone lawyer. He's, he's a lawyer and he's just an obsessive with drones. And he's combined the two and said, you know, he now helps drone manufacturers write laws on drones. He writes airports, work out what they can and can't do with drones, i.e. shoot them down. Um, what helps with works with lawmakers on, you know, what does good drone law look like? He teaches on drone law. He speaks at conferences on, on drone law. Uh, he's written a book. So it's yeah. like taking two passions and saying, there are lots of ways to make money with those. Uh, and so that I think is in essence is the portfolio career is it's a bit like an investment portfolio, but it's, you're thinking about your life and your income, which is where am I going to invest time either to learn new skills or to do real work? Uh, which one pays off the best? How do I balance the, the portfolio in terms of risk reward, et cetera? So a couple of things jumped out at me there, um, particularly the niching idea. So I've got a, a another guest who's coming, uh, going to be appearing on this podcast series, Christopher Lockhead. He, he's um, a specialist in category design. Um, okay, yeah. So you're really defining very clearly your category. And actually a big part of that is, uh, by nature, not necessarily putting yourself in a very broad category, a very mm -hmm. busy category, actually defining your own. Yeah. And, uh, and he's got this idea around niching down. You know, finding your niche, because if you're the best at something in the world, then, you know, this, you, you haven't got much competition. Uh, and that, that's, that jumped out of me there, you know, particularly the drone lawyer. I mean, that's there can't be many of those out there. No, exactly. Uh, and but that doing, one earns a lot of money. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and, exactly. and loves what he does because he's the best in the world at something. And that's cool. Absolutely. And that, that, that's the key thing, I think. Maybe you could give me some advice. How would you advise me to prioritize my time? And where, where should I start in defining my niche? Yeah, so it really is important to take um, that take the time to audit. Um, you know, what are my skills, um, and does the market value them? What is my what knowledge do I have? Your knowledge and skills are slightly different. You know, you might know an industry really well, or know a function really well, or or even know just a certain company really well, or whatever, or a certain law. Um, what are my other assets? Very often it's network, but you know, or, or it could be followers on social media. But it might be other assets. It might be a certain type of security clearance or a certain type of license that's hard to get. Um, and then also, what are my passions? What will make me happy for over several years? And then say, how do I combine them into ideally one coherent story that stands out from the crowd? Now, that doesn't mean you have to be good at one thing. It needs one story. Um, when you start saying, I'm kind of good at everything, no one's going to hire you because they don't know, you know what your passions are. And I see people on you know, LinkedIn with um, you know, looking for work saying, uh, I'm a copywriter or I'm a lawyer or I'm a marketer. Um, it doesn't stand out. There's 10,000 other people that say the same thing. So, you know, can you say, you know, I write speeches for CEOs or I'm a ghostwriter for business books, or uh, instead of saying I'm a marketer, say, you know, I, I run um, the most insightful focus groups um, for people in their twenties or whatever. Now, it doesn't mean you don't do other stuff. You know, what I say, I've got to know loads of portfolio professionals, you know, in the last few months uh, and before. And once you, you need to stand out in order to win business. But once your clients trust you, you can do a whole load of stuff. So quite a few of the people we work with are, are mentors to startup CEOs or angel investors. 
and you normally start off going in because you're good at one thing. Could right. be raising money, could be yep. um, you know, building an ops function, could be optimizing your marketing. But once you've earned the trust, they'll then say, you know, can you just, can you just is a big phrase, uh, can you hire me as a marketing director? You don't want the marketing director job, but you know marketing, can you hire me the marketing director? Can yep. you staff up the ops function? Um, can you join my board? Um, and so you need that story that says, these are my skills and passions that I would happily get work on. People look at you and say, wow, you know, that's a pretty cool story and a credible story. I understand who you are, what you do and, and how you stand out. Uh, that gets your foot in the door. Um, and then that's probably a big chunk of what you do, but you can expand from there. So we, we have the debate all the time with our members, which is one of the reasons I want a portfolio career is I, I feel passionate about so many things and you're telling me to niche. And it's kind of a, it's an interesting friction, but there's a way to make it work, which is on your website, your LinkedIn profile, et cetera, you do need to say, this is my story. Um, but what I say is, is if you've identified a set of skills, you actually need to be a bit of a generalist to monetize them. You think about that drone lawyer, people think of him as a lawyer and an expert in drones, but he's also gonna be a public speaker, a writer, a consultant, a writer of, of laws, not just a, you know, a, a lawyer, but actually help governments. Um, there's a whole load of skills, but he's thought of as knowing two things, drones and law. Um, so the niche, the niche is the door opener, if you like. And then exactly. the, broader, yeah. the broader skills help him to increase the value that he could bring to any business. Big time, yeah. yeah. And there's a couple of things driving that niching um, as well. Number one is if you look at what's happening to big companies, they're, generally, they're, they're often keeping the generalists in-house. That's the core headcount. And then the outsource specialist work because you don't need a specialist you know, 40 hours a week. Um, yeah. And therefore, you're better off outsourcing specialists. So that's number one. Is it's been a big trend for a while, and it's been accelerated by um, coronavirus. The other is with everyone working from home, um, you don't you don't need to hire people in your local town. So people then say, "Well, I don't need to hire someone in London. I can hire the best in the world. Where do I find them?" Uh, or especially in smaller towns, like I don't need to hire local talent anymore. So why would I? That's suboptimizing. Where's the best talent? So working from home is also driving that you know, shift towards global expertise as opposed to local expertise. You're absolutely right. I think there is this broader shift towards specialism. I would call it a decentralization of work where we're changing the relationship between work and employment. Would it be fair to say that a portfolio career is more applicable for someone who's experienced? Does it require having got some experience under your belt? Yeah, so... I would say at the moment, what we're seeing is that most people joining the portfolio collective are over 30. Um, so it does seem to be do a permanent job, work out who you are, do two or three jobs, work for two or three employers, you know, work out who you are and what your passions are uh, and build a network and some confidence and other things and then do a portfolio career. There's part of me though that doesn't want to accept that, even though that's the current reality that we're seeing because there are gonna be so many people leaving university who can't get a job. And yeah. they still have skills, they have brains, they have a work ethic. There must be a way to help them form a portfolio career too, but I haven't got there yet. But you know, either we or someone else will hopefully help those uh, recent graduates because otherwise there's gonna be a whole load of unemployed but smart uh, graduates uh, at some stage. I think the idea of being paid for your time is always a limitation to yes. somebody who's working as a freelancer, as a contractor. Mm -hmm. And it must be for somebody who considers themselves having a portfolio career. So talked in terms of this idea of passive income, is that something that you would advise people to look at immediately? Perhaps 
putting together training course, mm-hmm. writing, creating content. Does that feed into the, the conversations you're having with people? Yeah, big time. So I, I, I wouldn't say everyone has to do it immediately because you might need a lot of people entering a portfolio career are not quite world class at anything, but they've picked what they want to be world class at. So the best thing they can do is read like crazy, write the odd article on LinkedIn or somewhere a a, a bit less risky than writing a book, Uh, try and do some consulting work around that subject, Uh, you know, build a network around the subject. And then at some stage, think about, I'm going to do a a, training video uh, or I'm going to write a book or whatever it might be. Um, Obviously, if you're launching a portfolio career, if you're already in a portfolio career or you're launching one and you know you're an expert at something, you can do it much faster. And it's not just about creating other content, which is a great way of making money, but it might be that you say, I'm going to help startups, but I'm going to ask for stock options. That's another way of creating longer term value. You're not just getting paid for your time. You know, you're, you're, you're going to benefit from the upside. Or it might be um, you know, one of our, our members who lives in Singapore. Um, he helps typically American or European companies sell their software in Asia. And he's built the most amazing database of people who buy software at companies all over Asia. Um, now, he still has to win the contracts to, to sell it. But in essence, he's done one piece of work that he can leverage across multiple clients. Um, so he knows who's the CIO, who's the CMO, who's the buyer of advertising technology, data, whatever it might be for most of the big decision makers around Asia. Um, and you know, he can basically bring in more clients and he's done the legwork. So it's kind of, he's still kind of selling his time. You know, he's selling you know, a sales service, but um, the amount he earns per hour is enormous because he did all that that foundational work. So there are different ways to mix it up. Um, we often refer to it as productizing your your services. Uh, so find a way to increase your margins by you know maybe doing one piece of research and monetizing it in multiple ways, or yeah. you know, building a database and monetizing it in different ways, etc. Okay. So would you say the portfolio career almost the first step towards entrepreneurship it's, it's not mandatory but i'd say about a third of our members uh, uh about a third of them are portfolio career is a stepping stone to a startup yeah um so they're saying right okay i've stepped out of the corporate world i need to make some money and i need to develop my expertise and i want to test a few ideas so my portfolio career will be the way in which i earn some money and test ideas and work out what's next but i intend to form a company um yeah there are others who say, Do you know what, I'm just a writer and I want to be a writer and I don't want a company or I'm going to sit on boards or I'm going to be a trainer um, you know, or I'm going to be an architect. So there are a lot of people just say, I just don't want to be in a big corporate and I'm very happy you know, being a standalone professional and, and portfolio professional. Um, but yeah, we get quite a lot saying this is a stepping stone. You mentioned that you've got a member in Singapore. Are, we, are you seeing these trends across the globe? Yes. So our membership, um, we're only at a few hundred members. We're only a few months old. But of our few hundred members, about half are UK because we're founded in the UK. But the rest are all over the world. So we seem to do particularly well in the US, uh, Singapore, Germany, Netherlands. Um, partly I've lived in all those places. So it might be an element of network. But I think there's also yeah. an element of their quite innovative economies um, where these trends are happening there too. Yeah. And you mentioned you've lived in those countries. You've lived in a few places, haven't you? Yes, I've lived in nine countries altogether and then um, probably worked in about 60. Wow. And you've got had a pretty varied career. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it, my, my career in, in very simplistically in decades is an, a, a decade as an army officer. So I was basically in the Royal Engineers, traveling around the world, building things and blowing things up. Uh, then uh, nearly a decade in what you probably call big business. So strategy consultant McKinsey and then uh, 
various sort of exec jobs at, at Coca-Cola in sales and marketing. Ended up running a big turnaround at Coca-Cola India, which was really interesting. Then just over a decade in what you'd probably call big tech or unicorn land or something. So starting with Google, I was the CEO of Europe and then various um, advertising technology CEO jobs. And then now my own portfolio career while in parallel uh, building the portfolio collection. So I'm keeping elements of my portfolio career to make sure I stay current in what it's like to be a portfolio professional while also building uh, the portfolio collective. Has that experience informed your view on the relationship between your work and your personal life? Presumably many of those roles are very demanding on your time, requiring travel, requiring relocation potentially to other countries. Yeah. Have you reached a stage in life where actually the, the sort of personal life takes precedence? Have you found it difficult to establish that balance over time? Have you come yeah. to this point where you uh, the portfolio career represents the path that you want to take? Yeah, it's so I think the portfolio career itself, I guess I just... I knew I wanted one, partly it's been brewing me for a long time. I've had a side hustle where really since I was a teenager, I've always been doing something uh, on the side, whether it's property development or buying and selling stuff or, you know, the odd speech or whatever, um, and wrote a book along the way. So I've always sort of thought one day I could do that. Uh, but right now I'm enjoying corporate life. And then, um, you know, last August, I resigned from my permanent job and kept being approached about other jobs and just kept turning them down. And I just realized I don't want that life anymore. I, I'm going to turn my portfolio side hustles into a portfolio career. Um, and then maybe I'll build another business along the way. Maybe I won't. Um, so that, I think just intellectually, I felt I would enjoy and add more value by, and my, my focus on my portfolio career is primarily helping startup CEOs build great companies. Um, I love building great companies. And I thought rather than me focus on building one, how about I've helped multiple people build great companies. Um, and so I thought that's, you know, that's the way my life is going. Um, in terms of travel, there's no way I had anticipated no travel and being in my garage as I've been for a big chunk of lockdown. Um, I was definitely ready to travel less. I, at its peak, I was traveling 45, 46 weeks a year um, in some of my old jobs. And yeah, that wasn't particularly fun. But at the same time, I was hoping for a life with three, four, five, six trips a year. Um, and so obviously lockdown has been no trips. Uh, in fact, I haven't actually left London since lockdown began. Um, right. So that's definitely you know, at the other extreme and not cool. Um, so hopefully at some stage, I'll get back to that, that kind of balance of a few trips a year. I like travel, um, but uh, yeah, I don't want to do it as much as I did in the heyday. And I don't think many people will, to be honest, even people in corporate jobs is business travel is just going to be down, I think, forever. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine the justification from businesses or actually from the individuals. I think you realise that, um, you know, whilst it is better being in a room, actually, these sorts of technologies that we're recording on today facilitate any yeah, communication exactly. you need, right? I think there was, we were almost clinging to a belief that you had to do everything face to face. And we've realised with lockdown that not everything does. So I'm not anti-travel. I think, I think tourism will probably bounce back pretty fast. But business yeah. travel... You, you know, you don't necessarily have to have board meetings face to face. You don't necessarily have to have you know, shareholder AGMs face to face. Um, you, know, you don't necessarily have to um, you know, turn up and be seen at the front line by, by your sort of employees in every quarter, maybe it can be twice a year. And so there's a lot of things we trimmed down, you know, conferences, uh, do they all have to be in person or can they be, you know, uh, some of them be virtual. So I don't know what will happen to prison travel. I'm guessing it will halve versus the old peak, something yeah. like that. 
obviously it's way down more now, but you know, once there's a vaccine, maybe it'll be half what it used to be. Kind of getting around to the subject of advice. So it's probably fair to say you're someone who gives advice for a living now, certainly, that, yeah, certainly yeah. in terms of your work with, with CEOs. So I mean, have you always been someone who's taken advice well? I, I, I'm quite sort of independent-minded. So I do try and work out my stuff, but I have consciously chosen jobs in the past where I knew I could learn a lot from my boss. So I'm probably not very good at asking for advice, but I'm quite good at saying in my next job, I want to learn more about marketing or strategy or whatever and so i need to make sure it's the right job with the right boss that i can learn a lot from so probably at the bigger picture making sure i learn things i've been quite thoughtful on, on a day-to-day -day, i haven't really been as good as i probably should have been at asking for input and support i'm normally in such a hurry that i'll learn by doing stuff and probably by making mistakes as well it's tricky isn't it we live in this world of abundance that includes access to information knowledge and of yeah. course advice but yeah. how do we cut through that and identify those pieces of advice which are really going to add value to us as individuals? I mean, how do you how do you approach yeah. it when you start working with a, a startup CEO? Yeah, and it's it's tricky. I guess one of the things you need to do is is take advice from people whose worldview or the worldview of the future is one you believe in. Um, you know, taking advice from someone who's still thinking a decade ago isn't helpful. And quite frankly, even someone who's thinking pre-virus probably isn't that helpful because so much is changing so fast right now. So in terms of taking good advice, number one is work out people that you think they've got a handle on the future. Even if it's not, and let's face it, no one can forecast the future, but they've got a vision of the future that is feasible and quite exciting. Um, and then maybe you find a few of those to hedge your bets. Um, the second is to either ask the right questions if you've got a personal relationship or read the right articles, because let's face it, a lot of people can be right about one part of the future and not right about others. Um, and then it's a case of, well, you know, how do you find it? What's the frequency of taking advice? How do you stick to it, et cetera? Um, and what do I do? I, I, I read a lot of articles. I don't read many books. Um, I probably read two or three books a year, but I, I probably read 15 articles a day um, on everything from the future of industries, the future of society, obviously the future of work is a big thing for us, uh, but also on tactics, like, you know, um, how can you create a viral network or, or whatever it might be. So I probably read a lot from thoughtful investors, a lot from thoughtful CEOs, um, still some stuff written by journalists, et cetera. Um, and some sort of random stuff that just comes through my feed on, on LinkedIn or something like that, which is like, I guess LinkedIn's worked out the kind of things I read versus don't read. And sometimes good things come in the feed as well. So it's, it's a mixture of serendipity and, and sort of consciously seeking out you know, good advice. Yeah. You've mentioned that you're constantly in search of new information and trying to think about the future. Yeah. But would you say there's certain principles which define the way that you, you live and work? So, uh, yeah, there probably are a few. I'm not sure I've ever written them down. Um, I'm a big believer in balance, but providing the balance is very intense, which <laughs> my character loves it. Like, I, I do believe you've got to focus on work, family, health, mental, physical health, mental health, finances. You know, you've got to get a balance of all of that. And, and I do like to join the dots you know, and make sure that I do get away from my desk at least twice a day to go for a walk. Uh, it might only be 20 yeah. minutes or half an hour, you know, work out two or three times a week minimum or go for a run or whatever. Um, keep an eye on the finances, get quality time with kids, um, you know, and my wife, etc. So just try to get that balance, which is hard, but I probably think about it two or three times a day is like, do I have the balance? Yeah. 
yeah. but that said, I'm quite an intense person. So it's like, you know, I, I don't sleep much. Um, so I can get in more work, more family time, more exercise, <laughs> yeah, uh, et cetera. So I probably average four to five hours sleep a night. Um, what else do I do? I try not to, to it, it, obviously the, probably the biggest risk for me is, is overload. Um, I'm quite bad at saying no. Um, and therefore I normally have way too much to do, but I make up for that. I, I sort of have a lot of me time early morning. So like between say four or five in the morning and seven where it's just me time. And then even weekends, I'll carve out you know, a few hours every weekend uh, with no calls, no meetings. I'll ignore my emails and get stuff done because kind of Monday to Friday, nine to six, you know, everyone wants a piece of me. And, and it's a case of I don't really have time to think, reflect, even just read thoughtful emails that people sent to me or you know, read, read the longer articles. So you know, that, that kind of early morning and weekends is, is my time. And other principles, um, there's definitely, you know, don't work with people who are obnoxious. Um, <laughs> life's too short for that. And maybe that yeah. comes with age in your early career. Maybe yeah, you yeah. work with brilliant, but obnoxious people, but now life's too short for that. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm, there's that saying, isn't it? You're only as smart as the five people you spend the most time with probably still true. Yeah. So hang out with smart people who you like, uh, and who you trust. Um, it's never a yeah. bad thing or hang out virtually in, in the current environment. Um, other principles, and for me, I don't know if it's a personality trait or a principle, but I do live with one foot in the future or one, you know, half my head in the future. It's kind of like um, make sure you're future-proofing yourself, your company, your life, uh, et cetera, because yeah. you know, surprises happen. Obviously, this year has been a, a massive one from that perspective. There's probably a few more too, but those are some of them. Yeah. I like the idea of being a non-consensus but right. Mm-hmm. certainly in terms of business thinking. So yeah, yeah. You know, ultimately, if, you're, if you are just following the consensus then it's going to be difficult to, you know, carve much opportunity. So you need to, by nature, be non-consensus in the way you think about yeah. the future. But of course, you'd be non-consensus, but you have to be right, because what's the big <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I, I like that idea in terms of forward thinking. And I think actually related to that idea of who you don't work with. Yeah. One thing I always found is don't work with people who you've seen argue with others, because at some point they'll turn that anger on you. Yeah. What do you think about goal setting? Do you set yourself very specific goals or do you live by just systems day to day which will ultimately get to you you know where you want to achieve uh it's a good question so with fitness i have goals for sure um i'll say that i'm running a half marathon in six months time i want to do such and such a time or something like that um with work and i guess you always have built-in goals because it helps teams focus um but right now, especially running a startup, the goals are relatively tactical, which is, you know, every week needs to be better than last week in terms of visitors to the website, signups for membership, attendees to courses. Um, it's, like, it's like a constant fine tuning. And, you know, yeah, there's a big goal you know, that at some stage we want to have over a million people on the platform, but we're nowhere near that yet. So it's kind of, we've got that, you know, BHAG, you know, the big hairy audacious goals are out there. But probably most of the time right now, and this is not something I've done all my life, we're probably not thinking much more than two to four weeks ahead because yeah. there's so much to do and because we're only a four-month-old company. So yeah. um, we're kind of, we're having to like iterate fast. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's certainly with a startup, that's the sort of time horizon you need to be looking at. I'd probably say from a broader con- context i think actually a lot of people right now have shortened their time horizons anyway i mean even in corporates just because things were unpredictable before they're certainly unpredictable now yeah yeah. Uh, so i just did a few few things i just wanted to to finish on all related to advice a few quick fire questions um 
What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oh, that's a good question. I'd say don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just, you know, try stuff. Um, ultimately, you learn more from trying and failing than you learn from not trying stuff. Yeah, I agree completely. The real principle behind starting this podcast was I love to learn. I love to, you know, try and improve myself mm-hmm. all the time. And that means I've read and listened to lots of lots of stuff. And but but actually over time I also hand out advice a lot. Yeah. But I do think it's difficult sometimes to stick to your own advice. Now, I'm really interested in the idea of why that is, you know, even with the best intentions, you can't yeah. necessarily follow your own advice. Are there particular pieces of advice which you know are right you potentially hand out but perhaps you struggle to stick to my biggest one is saying no i mean i I do say to people say no it will bring more balance to your life um and i probably do say no but nowhere near enough and if you look at my calendar you'd see i don't say no enough um and i guess it's partly enthusiasm partly i like helping people so when people ask for help I, i like to help but there's so much stuff I do that you, you know, a ruthless person would go through and just cross out 20% of my calendar and my life would be, well, just as good, probably better because I'd have more free time. So I think that's the one that I struggle with um, is saying no. You mentioned before some advice about how to approach the beginning of a portfolio career. Mm-hmm. Most of the people listening to this will have, you know, what you call a typical job, you know, yeah. working 40 plus hours a week. Yeah. How soon can they move from that type of typical role into a yeah. portfolio career? And what would be the right steps to take to, yeah. to begin that process? Absolutely. So the, the first quick thing I say is I think having a full-time job with no side hustle is an incredibly dangerous place to be. Because if you lose that job, you might not get another. And you're not prepared for a portfolio career, which is probably where you're going to have to go. So I think it's very high risk. If you have time, like you're happy in your job, but you know you want a backup plan or a portfolio career one day, I'd say work out a, a side hustle and a side hustle that pays, not just a hobby, uh, or at least that could pay uh, and you know it could pay. And that way, what do you do? It means you have to define yourself, maybe build a website about your side hustle, maybe polish your LinkedIn, uh, maybe work out how much you're worth, build, get a business bank account, think about your taxes. But there's so much groundwork you'll do just by having a paying side hustle that if ever you do need to build a portfolio career, you're ready. So if you've got a year, two years, that's probably the best way to go. Um, however, if you are in a hurry, like, you've just got to quit because you hate your boss or because you've been laid off or you know, you're on furlough and, and you, you know scared, you can get up and running fast. Um, so we've launched something called a catapult course. The idea is to take you where whatever state your portfolio career is in, which could be nothing or it could be, you know, a, a muddling through and get you to totally focus and do all the groundwork and start you know, earning paid, uh, you know, generating new revenue streams within a month. Uh, so that's, that's what we would point people to. Um, we're halfway through the second course now and it's getting rave reviews. Well, I'm going to add the details of the Portfolio Collective and the Catwell course in the show notes. So uh, anybody who wants to find out more can find the details there. So Ben, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been great to discuss the Portfolio Collective, Portfolio Careers and the Future Work in general. And thanks for your advice. That's a pleasure. So that was my interview with Ben Lake, the CEO of the Portfolio Collective. As I mentioned at the end there, I'm going to put a link to the Catapult course in the show notes. I'll also include any other links which you might find interesting. Thanks again for joining me. Subscribe if you like this or any of the other episodes in this new series of Take My Advice. In the next show, I'm going to be interviewing organisational psychologist and professor at DePaul University, Alyssa Westring, who released the book Parents Who Lead 
written with Stu Friedman earlier this year. See you again soon.